For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. of Over the Line. Let's check our levels. Where are we at? Hey now, hey now, hey now. I think we're good. I think we're good to go. Posting uh, that we're live all over the social medias. I feel like I have an echo in here. Is that just me? Am I not talking into the soundproofing, professional soundproofing that we have here in the studio? I don't know. Let's see. I know this is very unprofessional, but I don't really care. We're trying to take advantage of Parlor and uh, post that we're live. I kind of like the way they do it because they they put the actual video on your Parlor feed. It makes it easy to watch. People just click on it and uh, boom, there they are. So welcome over the line. It is what is today? Wednesday. It's a Wednesday edition, and this is. A continuation of our attempt to do a regular show five days a week. Well, this week will only be four, but our, our normal routine is going to be uh, five days a week. A little, short little podcast, not nothing long, not, not, nothing's going to take too, too much out of your day, but, you know, a quick 30, 45 minutes and we'll be done with it and uh, you'll all be happy campers. If you listened to, um, if you listened to me on Talk ninety nine five today, I felt like we had a pretty good show, and most of that was thanks to Mama Ivy, who decided to hold a, a little brief uh, press conference right there uh, in the middle of the show to let the state of Alabama know there is a brand new. Statewide mask mandate starting July the 
16th at 5 p.m. And you know what? I think I just realized I put the wrong date on the YouTube video. Did I do that? I sure did. I put it the 14th. People were like, oh my gosh. I've gone back in time. It's the 14th in the show. Uh, okay. Just ignore it. If you're watching and you're wondering why it says the 14th, ignore that. That's 100% my fault. I was in a hurry. I was trying to get, get going. So here we are. Camera's a little closer tonight than I would like. I don't know what that's about. I like it to be a little further away. I feel like I, the camera adds 20 pounds, and even more so when it's when it's closer. Um, but it will survive. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on the Scott Dawson podcast. I don't really know what to expect there. It may be... Uh, it, it, it's not... From what I'm told, it's not going to be like kind of an interview thing, more of a conversation, but it's going to be asking me questions. And I'm going to be honest, I feel a little weird about it because I've never gone on a podcast or a show to answer questions about myself, and I don't really know what that uh, what that's like or even how to do that. I'm only I'm not big on talking about myself unless I got some kind of drama in my life. So uh, being serious. Like about my life and stuff. It's going to be strange. But Scott Dawson's a friend. I agreed to it. I couldn't tell the guy no. And uh, there we go. We'll have that. That's That'll be something I'll share with you guys. Uh, whenever they get that podcast posted. And you can watch it. So before the mask mandate. Because there's a lot of stuff we can talk about on that front. Uh, and there's not much we can do to change it. Uh, it goes through the end of the month. The big... Senate race in Alabama last night. We were on air as the polls closed yesterday, but we didn't find out till maybe a half hour after the show was over that Tommy Tupperville had won the race. And it wasn't really that close. You're talking like 30-70 split on the vote. And that... Or it may have been the 60... 60-30, what's the 60-40? I don't know. Whatever it was, Tommy Tupperville won in a pretty big fashion, uh, especially with turnout being as low as it normally is in a runoff race. Uh, but that's the end for Pop All Sessions. Pop All Sessions is, is going to be out of politics more than likely. He's up in his years. He's got kids and grandkids to worry about, I'm sure. I don't know if he does or not, but... Nonetheless, uh, that's probably enough to convince him to just go ahead and bow out and take a seat on the front porch. So what are we dealing with now? Tommy Tupperville is going up against Doug Jones. Now, if you don't live in the state of Alabama, this may not be of much interest for you, but it does have national implications in the sense of Doug Jones is a uh, a Democrat who just fell into the Senate seat. It's almost as if he won it by accident, which is not completely true because they did a lot of shady things to get there. But Doug Jones is is a, a Democrat senator, and it's the first time a Democrat has held that spot since the Democrats were openly racist. Since the since last time Democrats had the Senate in Alabama... It, it it was back when Confederate flags were the norm and, and racism, you know, was, was openly accepted. And really, when the the Klan was still something. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. I mean, we're talking about the party of racism, the party of the KKK. Uh, and now they've regained power in at least one Senate seat. So 
the motive of Alabamians or, or the agenda of Alabamians has been since that election two years ago has been to remove Doug Jones from that Senate seat. It should be a pretty easy task. I think most Alabamians would agree with that. Um, and it, that, that would have stayed the case had Jeff Sessions won, because Jeff Sessions was at one time the darling of Alabama politics. He was highly respected. He was as conservative as you could get, and there was nothing you were going to find on his voting record that you really disagreed with, for the most part. Now he's not in the picture, and this new guy, Tommy Tupperville, who is well-known in Alabama, but not for his politics, is the guy. Tommy Tupperville is known for being a football coach, Auburn University in particular. So he's well-known, he was hated by half the state, loved by half of the state, uh, but now as he's in politics as a conservative, as a Republican, he he's kind of been uh, taken in and accepted by all Republicans within the state. They, Republicans, conservatives, thought so little of Jeff Sessions after the Russia debacle within the Trump administration when he was Attorney General that they could not let it go and allow him to succeed in this race. That that debacle where he recused himself in the early days of the Russia investigation and allowed Trump to take on all this heat from a phony witch hunt, Alabama held that against him. It defined his candidacy through this entire race. So Tommy Tupperville had to do absolutely nothing. He's got no record to go on. He's really proposed no real policy. But all he had to do was sit back and say, I love Trump more than Jeff Sessions. It's obviously Jeff Sessions doesn't love Trump because look what he did to him. And that was it. That's all Tupperville had to do. Now here he is. He's the candidate. Doug Jones is going to put him in a position where he has to put policy out there. He has to talk about what he's going to do. And his love for Trump is not going to cut it. And not because he can't he can't go through his campaign just talking about how he could love Trump and still get the Republican votes. He can do that. If there was not somebody on the other side that's going to drag all of his skeletons out for the world to see. The thing is, Democrats, it's not just Democrats in Alabama that want Doug Jones to hold this seat. It's Democrats on a national level that want Doug Jones to hold this seat. There was a national effort by Democrats to make sure Doug Jones got that seat in the first place. That's where you got the smear campaign with Roy Moore with a bunch of what to this day still seems to be false allegations about um, rape and molestation and, and all these awful things that they smeared this guy with. Now, I, personally, I don't think Roy Moore's a good guy. I talked to him. We had him on the show. He's a horrible interview, but I don't think he's a good politician. He may be a good guy in general, but he has no place in politics. So just like that what this situation seems like it may turn out as we were in that same situation two years ago with Roy Moore. Tommy Tupperville has a lot of issues. One being uh, a, a hedge fund that went sour. 
his partner went to jail for like 10 years and, and Tommy Tupperville got off the hook. You've got his coaching career that every, and this is something every coach deals with, but it's different when you're bringing it to the world of politics. You've got times where you have covered up for a kid that's committed a pretty serious crime in order to uh, keep him on the team or whatever, whether that be from a place of, hey, I don't want to ruin this kid's life, or it comes from a place of, hey, I want to keep winning games and we need this guy to do it. There's some of that going on, and it goes on all across this country on college campuses and in football programs, as well as the fact that he's been screaming from the rooftops his entire campaign that he voted for Trump, and then we found out just days before the election that he didn't vote for Trump. He actually didn't vote for anybody because he wasn't ready. He wasn't currently registered to vote. They took his name off the voting rolls, I guess, because of inactivity. So not only did he lie about voting for Trump, he, he's not even voting at all, which then raises the concern, does this guy even know anything about politics? You're about to go and be in a, in a part of Congress that is really the last line of defense when it comes to things good and bad. Most things start off in the House. Bills, proposals, referendums, whatever. They then get sent over to the Senate to decide if it goes to the President's desk, who he ultimately either signs off or vetoes, unless there's a veto-proof vote, which means a majority of Congress is on board with it, then the President can't do anything. But... The Senate is a pretty serious place, and it is ill-advised to send someone there that has nothing, no knowledge of politics or anything at all, okay? It's a much different situation than sending a Donald Trump to the White House. You're just sending, blindly sending this guy into the Senate who's not going to have a clue what he's doing. He's going into the lion's den, and... He's not going to know his, his his head from a hole in the ground. But the main thing is just him even making it to that spot. The Doug Jones campaign showed what they did to Roy Moore, shown what they're willing to do with the help of the national media and Democrats across the country. Dudes raised like $8 million or something crazy. And they're going to show out again and do that same exact thing to Tommy Tupperville. Will he survive? It may be slightly different this time since this election will be during a presidential election and you won't have as much national focus. Because when Doug Jones garnered this seat, we had the whole country looking at Alabama. I mean, those of us in the radio business had... MSNBC and CNN and these other outlets contacting us saying, hey, we want you to come on our show and and, and talk about what's going on there in Alabama. Everybody was watching because it was the only race going on. It was a special election. It may be different in that sense, but rest assured, the Doug Jones campaign will pull out all the stops and likely rip this guy to shreds. I fully expect that to happen. So, we'll see. That'll, that'll uh, all... Uh, be determined in the coming months but I'm telling you I don't have a good feeling about it whatsoever as far as Jeff Sessions goes 
Adios, buddy. I got that from, from an AL.com headline. Uh, Kyle Whitmire wrote this one. A guy who's known as the at war on dumb on Twitter. Which, if you've watched this guy's tweets, if he's if he's having a war on dumb, dumb is actually winning that war. I got that headline from his article. It says, Adios, Jeff Sessions. And I thought, well... I wonder what he's got to say. Let me just let me just read through this and see uh, his his analysis of this whole thing. And he said, four years ago, Jeff Sessions was the most popular politician in Alabama. He could have comf- comfortably in a Senate seat that could have been his for the rest of his life. But today, he's unemployed uh, as a former football coach beat him in the primary. I don't have pity for him. He brought this on himself. And I thought... Um, as he went on, he said, rather have pity on Alabama, Republicans vote, voters may have rejected Sessions, but it seems they did so for all the wrong reasons or for the wrong person. And I'm thinking, well, the first time in my life, I'm agreeing with this Kyle Whitmire on AL.com. He's got a point. I think we rejected Jeff Sessions for all the wrong reasons. And the reason was he did Trump dirty. And I get that. Trust me. I was anti-Jeff Sessions up until four weeks, three or four weeks before the election. And I heard him out. I heard what he had to say. How he felt about the policies Trump supports. Policies that he's always supported. And I thought, man, those two will keep distance between two of them. We'll get Jeff Sessions in the Senate. And we'll be fine. Because he will vote with Trump even if they have beef. But that wasn't what Kyle Whitmire was talking about. He says, There was a good reason to send Sessions packing, though. This is a man, after all, who oversaw family separations on America's southern border. This is a man who ordered the detention of children away from their parents without safeguards in place to ensure they could be reunited. And frankly, this is a man who seemed to enjoy his role he played in the fleeting moments he was allowed to play it. So, so Kyle Whitmire's point is that Jeff Sessions, it's good that he's gone because he was separating families that were illegally crossing the border and he was happy about it. He loved separating families. That was his thing. He liked ripping them apart and watching them cry and beg and say, please, mommy, don't, don't let them take me away. And Jeff Sessions was like, ah, oh, yeah, I love it. You know, get away from each other. Absolutely absurd. And the absurdity is, is Kyle Whitmire, somebody like Kyle Whitmire, will never, will never allude or point out the fact or, or play the audio or post the transcript of Obama telling people illegally crossing the border directly into a camera, do not come across with your family because we will arrest you and you will be separated from your family. Obama said that. Most of these things Obama and Democrats have said in the past, but, you know, <laughs> Nobody wants to bring that up. We're mad that Republicans are doing it. It was okay when Obama did it. But not not Jeff Sessions. Not Trump. Not Republicans. So anyway. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's the same song and dance for those guys. But anyway, as, as the podcast goes along and we do these things every night, you, you're going to... You're going to hear about it, and we'll obviously keep you updated throughout the whole race. Another race out in Texas that I really haven't heard anybody talk about was uh, uh, was a guy named Ronnie Jackson. 
Now, if you remember Ronnie Jackson, he was actually the White House physician for Trump. I think the first White House physician. He was there under Obama and I think under Trump, uh, uh, Bush as well. He was running for Texas's 13th district and won in his runoff last night. So he will be advancing to the general election. I like Ronnie Jackson. I like Ronnie Jackson because he was never a problem. He was never a problem during Obama. He was never a problem during Bush. He was only an issue when he came out and gave Trump a clean bill of health and said, you know what, Trump, I know you got the media saying that Trump's, uh, you know, he, he's in mental decline and his health is poor. But I, I've examined him and he's good. It was after that articles started coming out, anonymous sources talking about Ronnie Jackson was a heavy drinker, he was a raging alcoholic that constantly sexually harassed and beat up women. And the next thing you know, he had to resign from his position. But now he's being justified and he's, he's getting back at these people by heading into a general election in an actual position of power instead of just being the doctor of the president. Again, hypocrisy at its, at its height. You know, it never it never changes. And it's why it doesn't take somebody to it doesn't take somebody blindly following the Republican Party or the Trump administration to to realize that the other side of that coin is hypocritical ninety nine point nine percent of the time. The Republican Party and conservatives absolutely they're hypocritical sometimes, but not all the time. It's almost always hypocritical for the Democrats. And it doesn't change. All it takes is going from one administration to the other to be able to look back and say, well, why were y'all cool with it back then? But now it's a danger to our democracy. That's my favorite. It's a danger to our democracy. A threat to our democracy. Uh, speaking of doctors, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was hospitalized the other day for a possible infection. She was being treated. Um, we wish her well. We also wish her an early retirement, just not death. If she retires, that leaves a seat open on the Supreme Court, which Trump, if he wins another four years, he would be able to appoint. He would never be able to do it before the election because the House would never allow it to happen. But whatever, that's just kind of the rules in 2020. What else we got? I'm just moving through these and doing a rapid fire deal because we're trying to keep these short and sweet. Um, da, 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 da. Let's talk. I, well, and I think I talked a little bit about this last night on last night's podcast about the GOP convention, the RNC. Started off in North Carolina. Moving it to Jacksonville because North Carolina was like, oh, coronavirus is bad. We can't do it. Moving it to Jacksonville. All of a sudden, Jacksonville and, and the rest of Florida, their, their coronavirus numbers shoot through the roof. Okay? Just as they move it to Jacksonville, right after they move it to Jacksonville, now all of a sudden the people are like, well, you can't hold the RNC in the middle of a coronavirus spike in Florida. But see, they know, the president knows, the president's team knows that these numbers are being inflated. And it's being hyped up in Florida in particular 
because they do not want the RNC being held, not just in Jacksonville, but anywhere. They want to stop this. Why? Because it is a massive show of support for the president. They spend so much time and energy breathlessly reporting that the president is hemorrhaging supporters. They put their polls up every day. Joe Biden's up by 10 points. Joe Biden's up by 15, 20 points. He's whooping the president. There's no way he can win the election. But if they show a rally or an RNC with thousands and thousands of people cheering on the Republican nominee and current president, it poo-poos that. It just doesn't poo-poo that theory. It hurts their case because they get discredited and it keeps people who may have been on the fence for Trump, thinking everybody's leaving, to stay with him. It really creates votes. It's all political strategy. Now, that's not 100% the reason that the numbers are going up in Florida. But it's why the numbers are being padded and they're being touted so loudly in the media. It all surrounds that. They were like, there's Republican Republican Party members that are uh, have said they're not showing up and that, you know, you, you've got to hold a virtual RNC. You just can't do this, first of all. The Republican senators, congressmen, all, all the Republicans, from the list I've seen, all the Republicans that said they're not going to attend because they're concerned about COVID, every one of them didn't show up to last year's RNC because they didn't like Trump. It's got nothing to do with coronavirus. It's got to do with being butthurt that yet again... Four years later, Donald Trump is still their nominee and this time still their president. So the Trump administration knows that and they're going to act accordingly. They uh, they said, you know, there's been reports that they were going to go virtual. They said, no, we're not, we're not going virtual. We may move it to an outdoor event, which is perfectly fine. They said, but we're having a convention. We're having an RNC. So fully expect that to happen. Also, ye of little faith. Reports are now that Kanye West, who 10 days ago announced he was running for president, has allegedly dropped out of the race. That quick. Oh, ye have little faith. That's what I thought was funny. Um, New York Magazine was reporting yesterday that one of the uh, campaign specialists who had been hired by Kanye West um, was out, quote-unquote out. This specialist, whose name was Steve Kramer, he runs a firm helping mostly Democrat candidates that are are getting on the ballot, and he talked to a, a magazine called The Intelligencer, I think that's the name of it, that he had been helped to hire Kanye uh, helped he had been hired to help Kanye West. He told them that a West team was working over the weekend formalizing the FEC and other things that they've got to do when you want to uh, when you want to run for president, you got to get corporate lawyers involved, all that stuff. So this outlet reached out to Kanye West's publicist who added 
another spokesperson to the email chain. Nobody responded to him for a while, so they reached out back to Kramer, the original guy, and he simply responded with an email that just said, he's out. So these guys are thinking, wait, what? Dude, we just got started. When they asked for details, Kramer told these guys, quote, I'll let you know what I know once I get all of our stuff canceled. We had over 180 people out here today. An hour later, this media outlet wrote um, that an hour later, Kanye West tweeted a video of himself registering to vote in Cody, Wyoming. He said in the video, I want to show you how I just registered to vote. And then the text on the video said, I thank God and I am so humbled at the opportunity to serve. Vote. This was last week. On Thursday of last week, this media outlet said Kramer provided a vague statement about his time with the West campaign. He said, I have nothing good or bad to say about Kanye. Everyone has their personal decision about why they make decisions. Running for president has to be one of the hardest things for someone to actually contemplate at that level. He said, any candidate running for president for the first time goes through these hiccups. The outlet goes on to report that while Kanye West was tweeting on Friday about a text message exchange he had with Charlemagne, um, he wrote... Uh, he wrote, quote, Yeezy Sound Roster Proposal, which was something to do with the deadline to get on the Nevada general election ballot. I, I don't know. I don't understand that part. So Kanye West did not send anything since. The report came from that media outlet was published. His last four tweets were about a chair or something. He said, I, I literally saw the last one I saw was just a picture of a chair. So the news of his departure from the presidential race, 10 days after he announced on July 4th, on that day, tweeted blah, blah, blah. He then sat down for an interview with Forbes, said he no longer supported Trump, and that he's doing his own thing, and kind of gave his whole spiel. But just judging from those series of events, we can't really conclude anything other than he's done. I mean, the people he's hired to be his campaign people... They're like, he's out. He's he's not doing it. So, I don't really know what the purpose of all this was. Why Kanye West decided to run for president. I think maybe a big part of it. There, there was a bigger picture, and it was more than just becoming president. Because I firmly believe he didn't think that would happen. There was another reason for him doing that. But I think once he got involved and he realized... How complicated it was, and how much, how many more people he, were, he was going to have to have around him to get this thing off the ground outside of his inner circle. He's like, guys, we're just we're not going to be able to do it. I don't have the money to do it. We don't have the backing to do it. You're just you're not going to be able to get anybody on board. It's just it's just not going to happen. So anyway, but there'll be some confirmation at some point. I'm sure Kanye will come out and say. Hey, I'm officially out, blah, 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 blah. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. See what happens. Uh, what else do I got for you? Gavin Newsom, 
And this is on the heels. I'm not going to talk too much about the, the mask thing that we're dealing with because it's Alabama-oriented. I know all of you guys aren't in Alabama. But out in California, Gavin Newsom, at the beginning of this week, had ordered all 30 counties in California to halt all their indoor activities. Bars, clubs, restaurants, movie theaters, they're shutting it down completely, yet again. Because why? Because when you opened it back up, coronavirus cases went up, so you're going to shut it down? What's going Are you just going to keep it shut down? Because if you open it back up, you're going to get the same result, allegedly. None of this is making sense. The, the, the spike in, in numbers, in coronavirus numbers, is not making sense. For instance, the two hot spots in the state of Alabama that really have triggered the statewide mask mandate the two hot spots that are seeing the most, the, the biggest increase in cases, infected people, those two counties are the two counties that for the past three to four weeks have already had a mask mandate in place. So what's the point? The point is the mask mandate doesn't work. And that's not even, I don't think the mask work personally. But I'm not. I'm going past that point. We're going to assume the mask works, but the mask mandate does not work. We do know that for a fact. Because why? Because you're not going to get the five million people in Alabama to all wear masks, just like you're not going to get the 350 million people in the United States to wear a mask. People aren't going to do it. So assuming masks work you're going to have to find something else because you're never going to convince everybody to wear a mask. It's not going to work. You're not even going to convince all business owners to force their patrons to wear a mask. Because guess what? A business owner is not willing to run off customers and lose money just because you have a new stupid mask law. They're not willing to butt heads with their customers because you put new rules in place. I was talking to the guy at the gas station earlier today, and he already had his mask on. He's like, I ain't wearing this thing, but whatever. Actually, he goes, hey, big money, I hate to wear this stupid mask. He, he sounds like Mario from Mario Brothers. Uh, and I'm like, well, dude, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when somebody comes in here without a mask tomorrow? Are you going to kick them out? He's like... Nah, don't kick them out. Just let them do what they want to do. As long as I'm wearing my mask and the health department comes, then we're all good. He's like, I'm not going to be kicking my customers that are spending their hard-earned money. I'm not going to be kicking them out. I'm not going to harass them. I'm not going to do any of that. Some of the bigger establishments, some of the chain restaurants and stuff that are getting orders from corporate, different story. But when it comes to mom and pop, mom and pops that can't afford to lose any more money after the coronavirus hit them so hard, they're not kicking people out for not having a mask. They're not. And so they're they're having to they're having to possibly suffer the consequences from the government because our governor here in Alabama said, hey, we're not we know there's no way to enforce this and we're not looking to get anybody in trouble, but I mean, the penalty is technically a $500 fine or jail time. 
Well, if you don't plan on doing that to anybody, why would you even bring that up? And then she has the audacity to go and dangle college football over Alabamian's head and say, well, we all want the football. I can't. <laughs> I can't do okay, I have you tonight, apparently. Well, I do declare we all want the football. I ain't even going to try that. Saying if you want football, you better put your mask on. It's absolutely absurd. And I, I have these conversations with people, whether it's on the radio or in person, about the absurdity of the mask thing. You know, because we got two different arguments going here, and I think we need to start one and then we'll bleed into the other. One is that the mask is ineffective in the first place. The mask is not going to work. That's the camp I'm in. That's the camp a lot of you guys are in. Other people say, man, if we all just wear a mask for two weeks, it'll all be over. Yeah, right. There's that argument. And then there is the argument that a mask mandate will work. And we all have to collectively agree the mask mandate is not going to work. If it did work, the mask police on Facebook wouldn't put four statuses a day on their timeline talking about how selfish and irresponsible people that don't wear masks are. And then finish it with, please wear a... I know it just called you selfish and self-centered, but please wear a mask. It's not going to work. It's a waste of time, and it only makes people angry. And at some point, government is going to realize that there is a large part of this population that knows governmental abuse when they see it. That know when government is crossing the line when they see it. You got the top health experts in the world. Whether that's on the coronavirus task force in Washington, D.C. Or that's locally here in Alabama. You've allegedly got the top medical minds in the world. Possibly on the planet. And they can't figure out that a mandate's not going to work and that a mask really doesn't work. They knew it at first because at first they were like, well, you know, uh, there's no need for anybody to wear a mask. If you're if you're deathly sick or you have some real uh, pre-existing respiratory problems, then yeah, you can wear a mask. But there's no need to wear a mask. If anything, it's going to be detrimental because it's going to scare people into thinking, you know, something something bad's going on. Then they changed it. And they gave a couple of reasons for why they got it wrong. What, and one of my favorites was, well, we had a mask shortage and we didn't want people to freak out and go by. Okay, so we're just going to continue to spread this, this deadly disease just because you're worried we're going to run out of masks? They've been wrong a lot. A lot. But them being wrong at this moment with as much as we know about this as much as as much as we've been through for you to not know that the masks aren't going to work, that the mask mandates aren't going to work, you've lost confidence in this guy. And this guy's lost confidence in you, should I say. It looks like nothing more than political, politically motivated abuse of power. That's all it looks like. Because when you say masks don't work, then you say, 
well, we'll just stay, we just need to stay at home for two weeks. And then the two weeks turns into 30 days, and then that turns into two months. And then you're like, well, masks do work, and that's our only line of defense. It's the only way the, 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 the world's going to be saved if you wear a mask. On to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. At some point, we're going to say, listen, we're just going to ride it out. Herd immunity. I made a point earlier today, and this is going back to people calling others selfish for not wearing a mask and not thinking of others. Judging somebody's character based on a mask, which I find extremely entertaining. If somebody says that to you, just simply respond to them. Do you wear a mask every flu season? And say, I know you're probably not going to give me an honest answer. And you're going to say, yeah, of course I do. Which we know is a lie. If you're not wearing a mask, with, with this line of thinking, if you're not wearing a mask every flu season, flu is a deadly virus, right? For some people, it's a deadly virus. If you are not wearing a mask every flu season, then, according to this theory, that makes you a selfish self-centered person and i don't know about y'all but with that i know a whole lot of selfish self-centered people because i don't see nobody wearing a mask during flu season we're gonna have a lot to discuss when it comes to that um flying through here uh man there's some some other things i want to talk about but I i think i'm gonna skip over and we'll try to get them tomorrow night one thing I do want to point out with what the virus, the, the COVID-19 is affecting, and that is the schools, okay? Now, there are there are schools like the L.A. County, I think it's Los Angeles County Schools, have already said, we're not doing in-person teaching. We're not doing in-person school. We're going online only. No matter what happens between now and the start of school, online only. And then we'll figure it out on down the road if we're going to actually um, allow you guys to, to come back to the classroom. Then I read from the teachers union in Los Angeles. They said, but wait, we got a good idea. We can open the school... By freeing up funds, by defunding the police. So in order to open our schools back, if we just defund the police, take that money, give it to the schools to buy masks and tests and all this other stuff, then we'll be good. <laughs> That's the Democrat line of thinking. It's like, hey, okay, well, maybe maybe we can find a little bit of compromise. It's It's insane. Here's the thing. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out with this one. The numbers are bogus. The mask ordinances are bogus. The hype from Washington D.C. and from politicians is bogus. And we're all being played like a bunch of chumps. It's election season, and we're all being played like a bunch of good little sheep. This virus has been here since this time last year, July 2019. 
A lot of us had it between then and now. A lot of us had it between then and before anybody was even talking about COVID-19. And guess what? We all operated just fine. We weren't quarantining. We weren't wearing masks. We were sick for a couple of days, laid in the bed, and then went back to life as normal. And did anybody, over those few months, have the thought in their mind, this country is going to be extinct because everybody's getting sick? No, we just chalked it up as the flu, flu season. Oh, it's just the time of year that people get sick. It's not a big deal. But it's campaign season. And a lot of politicians saw an opportunity to take advantage to help them politically. As in ruining the economy to help them politically. That was... 100% the purpose. I'm out of here. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new podcast. Make sure you follow Over the Line on all social media platforms and share it with your friends. They'll love you forever. Until next time, see you, cool.